Well, good morning. Welcome back to our series, The Armor of God, or what we've been calling Never Go Into Battle Undressed. And this is the last message in our series. We are finalizing our plans as a teaching team to begin a new series through the book of Genesis in, in much more detail than the, than the high-level one that we did earlier as we did a, a survey of the Old Testament, really of the entire Bible. We'll start that series either right before Easter or right after the Easter season. We'll never go into battle undressed. One of the things I love to do and have always loved to do when I go to the ocean is to jump the waves. Any wave jumpers out there? That's my favorite thing to do. I love to do that. I like to make my way out just to where the breaking point is or, or just right before it and then wait for the wave and just when it's at its peak, jump the wave. Now, I can do this all day or at least until I get numb, depending on where, you know, up here in Ocean City, it can be pretty cold. You can get numb pretty quick. And I've been doing battle with the ocean like this for as long as, as I can remember. Now, the ocean seeks to knock you down without regard to who you are. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how old you are. It doesn't care how much you know. If you let your guard down for even a second, you are going down. Now, to be successful at this, you need to keep your eyes on the waves. And I'm not talking about just the wave right in front of you. You've got to be looking out several waves as to what is coming next. Or you'll never even make it out to the breaking point if you don't do that. Next, you need to find a high, flat spot once you're out there so that you can firmly plant your feet on the bottom against the wiles of the ocean as you wait for that last second to jump. You have to be ready, fully outfitted for what's coming your way. And I cannot stress this next, po next point strongly enough. You have to have your trunk securely tied around your waist. Okay? Because if you jump too late, you are going down. That was something I forgot. I didn't know maybe when uh, I first started this. I was four years old. Now, my mother and sister, they spent a lot of time yesterday looking for some video and pictures for me, and this is what they discovered. That's me at the age of four, playing in the waves at Ocean City in that white bathing suit. I think that says Olympic champ on the back of it. A little hard to see from there. There I am in all my glory. Look at that. Whatever happened to that good-looking kid, I, I don't know. I jumped too late, and I got knocked down, and I got tumbled to and fro all the way back to shore. And when I stood up, I was missing my armor, completely gone. I was trunkless. The trunk was nowhere to be seen. I couldn't find it anywhere. And you know how when you're at the beach and you're in the water, you just keep drifting further down shore, and you're supposed to stay in front of your umbrella. That's what your parents tell you. I couldn't even see the umbrella. It was nowhere in sight. I had to run all the way up the beach, buck naked. My little white behind was moving as fast as it could, and I couldn't find, I couldn't find her umbrella when I got there. You gotta be prepared to have all the armor on. Keep your trunks on tight. I got a new pair that said the boss on the back. It's why Paul says to the Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can sit down and hide. No, rather take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This morning we're continuing our look at the last piece of the armor of God. We have already reviewed the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the, the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation which protects our thoughts and our thinking. And this morning our focus will be on the sword of the Spirit. So before we get into the meat of our topic, let me remind you today, if you missed a message, any message during the year of this series, and you want to catch up, you can always do so by going online to ffcsermons.org, where you can listen online or download. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and watch a previously aired message on either YouTube or Facebook. Well, let's pray this morning and see what God has for us. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you are in control, that you are captain of the army, that you never lose a battle, that you have already won. And Father, we thank you that we're on the winning side because we believe in you. We thank you that you dwell in us richly and that you are transforming us into the image of your son. We thank you for the armor that you've given us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by reading two stanzas from a poem by Gerald H. Czar, entitled, Candidate for a Pulitzer Prize. Now, you might already realize something is wrong, because that's not the way you spell Pulitzer Prize, not even close. And it goes like this. I have a spelling checker. It came with my PC. It plainly marks for my review mistakes I cannot see. Now, this has got to be something that drives Jessica nuts. She's our resident grammar, grammar expert. It's probably it's hurting her, she says. I ran this poem through it. You're sure real glad to know. It's very polished in its way. My checker told me so. And I thought my, my English was bad. I make a lot of these common mistakes. Now, you might be asking, Jim, what in the world does this have to do with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Well, hold that thought. We'll come back to that. Today, we're going to go on to perhaps the most powerful piece of armor in our arsenal. While all the pieces are important for our defense and our offense, we tend to think of the sword of the Spirit as more offensive than defensive in terms of a weapon. I think it's a strong weapon for both. This is the piece of the armor of God that really is the culmination of what God wants to use to bring spiritual victory in our lives. Notice it's not just the sword. It's the Spirit's sword. 
right? It belongs to him. It's the sword of the Spirit. In fact, none of the armor is ours. It's God's armor. He himself has used it before. We read about this all the way back in Isaiah's book, chapter 59, verse 17. God's people were confessing their sins and looking for salvation, and God hears them and fights for them. And Isaiah says, talking about God, he says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Do you remember when, when David came up to visit his brothers and, and he saw Goliath? Everyone, including the king and all of David's older brothers, were afraid to go out and fight Goliath because he was a giant, 11 feet tall, but, but not David. Why is this uncircumcised Philistine, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God, is what David had to say. He stepped up to fight. And when he did, the king gave David his own armor to put on, but it didn't fit. It was way too big and cumbersome for him. He said, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them, and so he took them off. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. That armor, the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, that was God's own armor, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And He gives it to us. And God's armor is a perfect fit. It always will be. In fact, that's why it works. It's His and not ours. Paul tells us it's the Spirit's sword. It's the one thing that the Spirit uses to make sure the devil is going to get off of our backs. Let go, let's go to God's Word and, and see how to, uh, to wield this sword so we can use it to its full capacity. I want you to clearly understand what it is to have this armor operating in your life. It's the divine resource that God has prescribed for us to use to exercise victorious spiritual warfare, the armor of God. The first thing I want you to notice is that he wants you to stand firm. That is to hold the ground that Jesus has already won. Jesus has already been victorious, legally if you will. He's already won the battle. And he wants us to experience it quite literally. He doesn't want you and I to go out and create victory. He has already secured the victory. He wants us to stand firm. He says beginning in verse 10 through 13, stand firm. Stand firm, he says. See, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We're not trying to achieve something. Something has already been achieved on our behalf. So stand firm and make sure that you have on the right wardrobe. Or make sure that you have on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. So that verb, see that verb take? Well, take means to pick it up, because in all likelihood, you're going to need it. The last three pieces of armor use that verb. 
Take up the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit. The first three use the verb tense that describes what your state should always be in. You want to be with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the shoes of the readiness of the gospel. He says, I want you to pick up the sword of the Spirit. This is very important because it is the only truly offensive piece of weaponry in the arsenal. And we'll see how that's linked to prayer later on. He says, it is the sword of the Spirit. He says, the sword of the Spirit is the tool that the Spirit uses. But here's the most important thing. It's the only tool that he uses. It is the Spirit's offensive weapon. It is the tool he uses in the spiritual realm. It is the tool he uses to address what's happening in the invisible world. What's in your face, that's what's in the visible world. Remember, our struggle, our struggle is not against uh, uh, flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and the forces of evil in heavenly places. Well, what is the sword? Well, he says the sword, which is the Word of God. So that tells us that the Spirit has a sword, that He has given it, a, given it to us to use in battle. And this sword is something that belongs to the Spirit. It's just put into your hand to use. And He says that sword is the Word of God. Now let me give you three words for the Word so that you can understand how this works. Because I want you to use the sword correctly. Remember that poem we started at? I said, we'll come back to it. Well, here's where that comes in. Because in English, we have words that sound the same, but are spelled differently and have different meanings. We call those homophones. Those would be words like two, two, and two. T-O, T-O-O, and T-W-O. They all have different meanings. They sound exactly the same. We also have words that are spelled the same, I mean identically, but are pronounced differently depending on the context and may have different meanings. Like look at the bow of the ship, B-O-W. Or look at the girl with the ribbon tied in a bow, B-O-W, in her hair. It's amazing we ever learn to speak or read at all in English. There are so many rules and so many exceptions to the rules. But English still falls short, and this is one of those times. The Greeks have three different words for the word word. They have graphe, they have logos, and they have rhema. Graphe, logos, and rhema. Now, graphe is the Greek word that means the writings, literally. The written scripture is called the Bible. That's graphe. If you came with your Bible this morning in your hand, you came in with the word of God in written form. Graphe. This is that. He says God's given the sword. He says God gives the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But the Greek word that he uses in our section in Ephesians 6.17 is not graphe. It's something else. This is graphe. This is the written book, God's written word of the Bible. We have a translation of it in English that we use here. Romans 10, 11 says, As the scriptures, graphe, say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. But when Paul talks about the swords of spirit being the word of God, he's not talking about you walking around with a Bible in your hand or having a Bible in your car. See, because some people want to use the Bible, the graphe, like it's a rabbit's foot. You see people with crosses sometimes hanging from the, the back of their rear view mirror, like that's there to protect them from an accident or keep them from getting a ticket when they speed. Well, that's not the way the spirit works. That, that's magic. That's wishful thinking. Now, don't get me wrong. It is the Bible. It is the Word of God. But that's not what the Spirit is using here. 
John starts off in his gospel, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, that's Logos. The Logos goes further than the Graphe. The Graphe is the written book. The Logos is the message of the book. It is the message. Jesus is the message of the book. He, the message, the Word, came in human form so we could know God personally in the flesh. This is the Bible when you don't read it. This is the Bible when you do read it. It's the Bible because it's the Bible. Its message is the Logos. So when you come to church and you hear a sermon preached and you understand what the passage says, you've just experienced the Logos because now you've gotten the message from or of the Graphe. So the content has now been clarified for you and you understand. Now, the Logos is very important because in the beginning was the Logos, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the message is God and God talking. But that's not the Word that he uses here in Ephesians 6.17. He doesn't say the Word of the Spirit, which is the graphe of God. He doesn't say the Word of the Spirit, which is the Logos of God. He says the Word of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. His Greek word is rhema. I'll explain how it all ties together in a, in a minute. Now, rhema means actually uttered words, spoken words. It is the declaration of the logos that you got from the graphe. The graphe is the book. The logos is the message. The rhema is the utterance, the speech, the speaking of the message. You could be the owner of a Bible factory and not have a sword. You could make Bibles and not have a sword, a sword being God's word within your heart. He says the sword that the Spirit has is the rhema of God. Here's the graphe. The book gives you the logos, the message, but it is the rhema. When we speak it, when we speak God's word that plunges in the knife and draws blood. It is the rhema that the Spirit uses. And so now we understand something that we didn't previously understand. We go from the graphe that has now become logos in our minds and understanding. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, when the enemy is all up in your grill, you need more than the graphe and the logos. You need the rhema. You need the logos that we find in the graphe. Without it, you are powerless. But it is the rhema, the uttered, spoken, or declared word of God that the Spirit uses in battle with the enemy. We have the same tool. The Spirit has given it to us. We can speak with our lips the written word of God. And the power of the logos of God himself is released against the enemy. Peter writes in his second letter, he says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He says, we know him. We have knowledge of him. That's logos. He's given us his promises. That's graphe. That we may participate in them. That's rhema. When it comes to rhema, it's alive. So by the time it hits rhema, if you got logos, if you got the message, if you have assimilated the message, then what do I mean by that? I mean, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, 
who took your place on the cross and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. Then you've got a sword with life in it when you speak God's word, the graphe. In Hebrews 4.12, we read these words. Another interesting section on the word. It says, let me back up one there. It says, for the word of God, logos, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. He says here that the logos of God is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and can pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit. Now, why do we need to know that the logos of God can get down to the spirit and soul? Because our spirit and soul are where our invisible world is. That's the invisible world. Our visible world is the physical, what we see and touch, our bodies. Our invisible world, which is where we truly live, is made up of our souls. It's made up of the spirit, that God presence that we have in us. He says this thing is so sharp that it can slice the invisible realm separating spirit and soul. Now why does God want us to know that the logos, the message, is able to separate our spirit from our soul? Because sometimes our souls get in the way of God's spirit, our personality how we arrange our orientation, our thoughts, our, our perspective sometimes gets in the way of what God wants to do. God, sometimes God has to literally slice us out of the way so that his spirit can break through. See, we have so intertwined our souls with God's spirit that we, we keep getting in God's way. So God wants the logos to get you out of the way. And then he, then he says uh, the only thing that can do that is the message of God. So when you come and you hear the message, you have the content of the word. And if it dawns on you that what you have thought and what God says isn't the same thing, well, guess what? You just got sliced and diced. He just split you. He separated your soul from your spirit so that the spirit can slip in and make things clear. When you come and you hear the word of God and you discover that your perspective, what your mama taught you, what your daddy taught you, disagrees with what God has to say and it dawns on you, you had all this stuff mixed up and you had God up in your soul and God didn't have anything to do with what you were thinking or how you were functioning or operating. Well, you just got sliced and diced. He's trying to make things clear in your life. The problem or benefit of the Logos is that it not only attacks what you do, it attacks what you think. He can go down to our thoughts. It says he gets, he gets down to what you were even thinking. He says that the Word of God, the Logos, penetrates with power. When the message is given, when you grab hold of the message and you accept it, you now have understanding. You say, oh, man. Is that what that says? I've been doing it wrong my whole life. I've got to change what I'm doing to get in line with what God has been telling me. I've been doing it wrong all these years. When that happens, he says that the sword of spirit, which is the rhema of God, that is speaking God's word, becomes our defensive and offensive weapon against the enemy. When you pull out scripture and you begin quoting God's word, the message that you deliver when you're in battle or conflict, when the enemy is all up in your face, those words from the Bible have power to overcome the enemy. Speaking God's word has power, amen? amen. Just speaking it, saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Flee from me. 
I don't want these thoughts. I'm going to take them captive in the name of Christ. James tells us to humbly submit ourselves to God. In other words, to let that logos have its effect in our lives all the way down to the core of who we are, what we believe, and how we operate. And then he says we can resist the devil and he will flee. He will run from us. How do we resist? We quote scripture to him. When Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness three times, he didn't go into some long speech about who he was in himself or, or walk through history pointing out all the things that he's done over time or claim his right as God's son, like, don't you know who I am? No, he simply quoted scripture. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. I hope you get this. God must love baseball because it was three strikes and you're out. Apparently, all the devil can take is three strikes, and then he's going to flee. Yeah, Jim, but why won't the devil leave me alone? Well, maybe it's because he knows you ain't ever going to say it is written. Because maybe you don't know. You haven't opened God's word yourself to read it, to memorize it, to have those tools at the ready. The purpose of the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, speaking God's Word, is to make us strong and able to withstand the evil onslaught of Satan and the enemy. David says these words at the end of Psalm 119, verses 99 to 105. He says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have departed from your law. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Probably one of the best-known verses in the Bible. The Holy Spirit uses the power of the Word to save souls and then to give them spiritual strength, to be mature soldiers for the Lord in fighting this corrupt and evil world that we live in. And the more we know and understand the Word of God, the more useful we become in doing the will of God and the more effective we become in striving against the enemy, the enemy of our souls. David said this earlier in that same psalm. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I cannot stress the importance enough of memorizing God's word, of learning it. I don't know what's hard the older you get to do. Write it on a postcard. Put it all over the place so you see it all the time. Say it several times a day until you've got it down. It will come in handy when you are in the middle of battle. David says in Psalm 1, he says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person who does those things is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and which leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What are you meditating on? What are you reading and watching? The Roman philosopher Seneca 
once told one of his pupils, be careful what you read because what you, when you read, you are writing on your soul. It is very similar to a proverb in the Bible where the wise father is telling his son, heed my words and my commands. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 7.3. You see, we live in a world where everyone and everything is trying to write on to our souls and to transform who we are. That's why it's so important for us as believers to know God's Word, to not only read it, but to meditate on it, to reflect on it. Because everything we take in, whether it is something we read, whether it's something we watch, whatever we listen to, all of it is programming us somehow. All of it is coding us somehow. That's why Paul says, keep your mind on things above where Christ is. Growing up in Sunday school, we used to sing a song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And that song goes on with many verses. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Feet where you go. Heart, whom you trust. Mind what you think. One of the most effective ways we can use the sword of the Spirit is in prayer. Right after Paul goes through that armor, he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. One of our best places to practice with the sword of the Spirit is in our prayer closet. So that when attackers come in the real world, we are ready. When did David, or when did Daniel rather, learn to trust God? He didn't learn to trust God in the lion's den. He learned to trust God in his prayer closet. His faith wasn't built in battle. His faith was built when he was on his knees. He had consistently sought after the heart of God three times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month. He consistently sought after God. Why is it that some of us are inconsistent with our relationships with God? Why are we unable to stand firm? It's because Daniel prayed consistently and we pray occasionally. It's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently. I showed this clip a few weeks ago when I spoke about Jehoshaphat. It's a, it's a clip from Louis Giglio, pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta on the power of prayer. Worship team, you can make your way back up. Don't switch until this video is done. If we could see what happens when we pray, we would never cease to pray. Come on, that's so good. Because yeah. we're like, you know, Lord, I don't know, and I don't even feel like you're in the room right now, and I don't even know if you hear me right now, and I don't even know if I hear me right now, and I'm actually getting a little tired, so maybe you're getting a little tired too. Oh, my phone just pinged, and that distracted me, and oh, look, it's a notification from CNN. I should look at that, because it's important. You know, our, our prayer journey is a struggle. 
Because for, for a lot of it, we got like a wall three feet in front of us and a whole crazy world competing around us. But if just for like 10 seconds, God could open up the window of heaven and say, hey, when you just asked me that, I dispatched angels across continents. When you just asked me that, I shifted kingdom plans into gear. When you just asked me that, darkness was weakened and the power of the enemy was destroyed. When you asked me that, a connection just happened across the world. When you asked me that, a door just opened across the country. When you asked me that, heaven just opened and God began to move. When you asked me that, dominoes started moving out that are going to move out not just today, but tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and forever. And if we could see that for a moment, we would just pray all the time. Like the scripture says, when it encouraged me, it said, Hey, Louie, pray without ceasing. Because when you call on the name of Jesus and access the power of heaven and stand in the gap and agree with God's plans, things happen. Amen. Amen. You know it. What an armor we have been given. What a victory has been won for us. What a God we serve. A God who hears. A God who works on our behalf. There is no other God like this in any other religion. You work for the God who, who you think can help you. Our God works on our behalf. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. Are we waiting on God? Are we trusting Him? Are we memorizing His Word so we are ready to do battle with the, the armor that He has given us? We have a victorious life. We fear nothing as believers. If you want in on that, if you're worried and you've gone through COVID and just panicked all the time, while we don't snub our nose at things that are dangerous, there is no need to fear if you know who God is, and if He is the Lord of your life, and He's come in and invaded who you are, at the core of who you are, you can have peace as you walk through anything, any tragedy, through wars, through attacks, whatever it is, God will go through them with you. And it's as simple as saying, God, I want in. I know I'm a sinner. I, conf I believe that you raised your son from the dead. I confess with my mouth. I use words. Lord, come in and be the Lord of my life. He'll do that. And you enter into a whole new relationship, one that will not fail all the way home. Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you, not against you. Have a good day in Jesus. We're going to end with a song.